Our gospel lesson comes today from Matthew chapter 25, and I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the gospel. It's also like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one, he gave $5,000, to another $2,000, and to a third, $1,000, depending on their abilities. Then he left. Right off, the first servant did the same, went out to work and doubled his master's investment. The second did the same, but the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one who had given $5,000 showed him Look how I've doubled your investment. And the master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, you're my partner. And the servant with 2,000 showed how he had also doubled his master's investment. And the master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. You can be my partner. The servant who had been given $1,000, said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways, and you demand the best and make no allowance for error, and I was afraid I might disappoint you, and I found a good hiding place. And I secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last penny. And the master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the best? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I could have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand. Give it to the one who risked the most. And get rid of this play-it-safe who won't go out on a limb. Throw him into the darkness. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The lesson, typically called the parables of the talents, is the middle of three parables of the kingdom that make up that one chapter, Matthew 25. It's also the most misunderstood of the three parables, possibly of all of Jesus' parables. No parable has been more misused, writes Stanley Hauerwas, one of our wonderful theologians, None has been more misused than Jesus' parable of the talents. The widespread misuse to which the parable has been subjected, he says, has been largely due to our failure to read into the story, the apocalyptic part of it, but mostly the failure to proclaim Jesus' kingdom. Rather, the parable is about learning to live as members of God's kingdom now, fearlessly, joyfully, embodying generosity in a world where what passes for common sense recommends we do quite the opposite. Let us pray. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation, the thoughts, the ideas that spring from this reading be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock, and our Redeemer. 
Amen. I saw a t-shirt advertised on Facebook. It said, you have one life, dot, 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 do something. You have one life, do something. I think Jesus was probably wearing that t-shirt. This afternoon when he was talking to his disciples, because according to the Gospel of Matthew's telling of the story, these words come just two days before the Passover, when Jesus will be arrested, and the tension is mounting, and the one who's been giving his life away for the sake of the world each day is facing his riskiest investment ever. This one who is on his high-risk experiment, his adventure is the one who tells the story we hear today. And he starts it by saying there are three people. But I kind of like to hear it the way we really love stories. Once upon a time. There was a very extravagantly wealthy owner, and he wanted to see how all the folks who worked with him would do. And so he called them together and gave them each may, much more than they could ever have imagined. In fact, he was careful to consider what each one could possibly do with what he had been given. And lavish amounts were given to them. Actually, when you go back and you do a little study, you realize that the one who was given 75 years' worth of a day laborer's wage. 75 years. The other was given 30 years, and the last was giving 15 years of a day laborer's wages. They really weren't given any instructions. The owner figured they knew each other really well, and they would get together and decide, what are we supposed to do with these gifts? I mean, you know, love begets love, and generosity begets generosity. And of course, the owner simply trusted they wouldn't squander the gifts. Yes, you have one life. It's a gift. What will you do with the one life you have been given? You know, in our culture, we seem to think that everything we have is ours, and we hold it close. And we try to possess it, and we clutch it tightly because there might not be enough at the end, and I might be left all alone, and I won't have anybody to take care of me, so we hold on tight. And yet, the way Jesus and his kingdom is not a path merely through a broken world marked by greed and violence. It's an invitation to enter a different kind of world. Paul calls it a new creation. And so Jesus clearly wants us to understand the first two servants saw this invitation. Risk what they had been given, in return were given more because they were living into a new and exciting different world. And the third slave, on the other hand, he feared risk. He remained wrapped in the darkness of the broken world. He suspected that all he had was all there, there ever would be. Dr. Hauerwes, again, suggests the third slave assumed that he was part of a zero-sum game. 
So the fear, this of assumption engendered into him was to try to turn his gift into his possession, something he dare not risk. And his true master was really not the one who was so generous. His true master became his fear. It kept him from risking anything. Such fear is a host of ways is so ever-present in our world today, and it makes us hold on and worry and fear that we won't have enough at the end. But indeed, the message of the parable today seems to be this. God has given us all these wondrous gifts to use and not to hide away for safekeeping. We're meant to stretch and experiment and grow with them. And isn't it that we have so much more to lose if we're afraid? Any worthwhile kingdom attempt involves risk. C.S. Lewis, Elizabeth referred to him last week, says, the way to know you are living by faith, listen to this, is that what you do for God scares you. If it doesn't, he says, there's no faith involved. So get comfortable with being scared. We have a master who not only commands us to risk, but has promised us that as we do so, led by the Spirit, he will multiply it far more than we could ever ask or imagine. There is a power that comes from the joy of receiving life as a gift and the confidence of being loved by God. And this hope opens us to be willing to share with others the bounty we have. You may not have riches, but my friends, you have faith, and you have hope, and you have joy, and I've seen you have hospitality. It's for sharing. The riches, the surest way to increase our bounty, Matthew says, is to give it away. And then love and faith like money requires us of taking risk in order to grow. And risk requires us to build relationships. And relationships require us to open ourselves, and sometimes it's kind of murky. And yet sometimes it's just mighty possibilities. Taking risk is not easy. And most of us... Hmm, Asked to do something for God, teach a Sunday school class, work with children, help Leah out, him and Ha, and get sweaty palms. Have to beat out the shadowy fear. The aftermath of risk-taking can be as uneasy as the steps that were taken, and this is largely due to the fear that devoured the servant who was afraid, and all he could do was dig a hole. The master turns to that third servant who immediately goes, and offers all kinds of explanations and notes. He was afraid to do anything but hide it. And the result isn't pretty, is it? The master's harsh, calling the servant lazy, saying at least he could have put it in a basic interest-bearing account. And then he's punished, banished to the darkness. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. One of the most harsh treatments anyone can read about in scripture 
it's a hard story to swallow because he didn't go out and party every day and buy bottles of fine wine. He didn't buy an iPhone and, and, he, and he didn't go on a shopping spree on Black Friday. He just maintained what he had, reasonable, safe, venture. But that's the heart of the issue that Jesus is trying to warn his disciples against. One theologian notes the point here is not really about doubling your money or accumulating wealth. It's about living. It's about taking risk, and the greatest risk of all, it turns out, is to not risk anything. Not to care deeply or profoundly enough about anything to invest deeply. Not to give your heart away. The risk of all, it turns out, is to play it safe, to dig a hole. That last servant, the third servant, had the same opportunity as the other two, the same calling to take what had been given to him to do something for the glory of the master. And instead of taking a risk, he just dug a hole. And it's been 2,000 years since the master first told the story. And God's people have had trouble stepping into fully, into Christ's call to live actively as disciples. In the 1940s, German theologian, pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer struggled with what to do with the gift he had been given. He struggled as he wrote in the midst of the Holocaust. He offered this. The sin of respectable people is running from responsibility. He wrestled with his own responsibility. He wrestled how to speak out against Hitler and the Nazi party, and it led to his arrest his internment in a concentration camp, and on a Sunday after Easter, he was hung. But you know what he said? The last recorded words as he stepped up to face his execution. He said, you see, this is death. For me, it's the newness of life. Risk-taking, running from responsibility, giving our hearts away. So where are we in our world today? How do we give our hearts away today? Do we speak up and speak out against injustice, even though it's going to make waves? What is the fear that keeps us from living this one life? this gift we have been given. Do you hesitate to volunteer because you don't think you have the talents that Leah needs to work with children? What gets your palms sweaty when God asks you to take the one gift you've been given and to do something? Well, the good news is we have this parable today to encourage us, to inspire us to choose giving it all away, to stare 
fear in the face and to stand with Jesus Christ, to be bold enough to stand and face whatever and to do what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, a disciple follows Christ in order to learn from Christ, in order to be like Christ, who gave it all away. There are about 80 of us here today. I'm not sure about our membership, but I'm going to guess that we have about 450, 500 people. What can you do today? What gift can you give today? Well, it's called a phone. And most of you have Shelby on your phone. What can you give away today? How many calls can you make today? Because there are folks that sitting at home who have not visited with one of their brothers and sisters in Christ in a long months. What would a call do? How about a card? We have some in our caring ministries who write a card. We have 13 family of our family who are either in a um, assisted living in a nursing home or at home with care. And if you ask me, I will give you a printout. What if this week the one who sits right here, Precious Virginia Hodges, got 50 cards? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't you be multiplying your gifts? There is so much to do for the kingdom of God, my precious friends. And Jesus says to each of you, I have given you life as a gift. What will you do with your one wild, precious life? And with all the love on his face, he says to us, do something for me today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.